Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Hey, Dog Nation, I'm Brandon Adams. Welcome into a special edition, I guess you'll call this, of Dog Nation Daily, uh, presented by Kroger. I'm happy to have you with us. I am on my way back from a really fun Royal Caribbean cruise. I'll tell you more about that, obviously, coming up in the days ahead. Just know this for now. We had a wonderful time on Wonder of the Seas, and it just got me even more excited for what we're all going to do in April when we get together for the Dog Nation cruise coming up then. So we'll talk more about that in a minute. I apologize for the slightly late start. It's always a little tricky when you're uh, on the road and trying to squeeze in something. This is obviously not a normal edition of our show, the way we always do it, but I wanted to... I guess play a little bit of catch up here because there is a lot that's gone on over the last few days we had a chance to speak live and so even though i'm kind of on my way way back home and uh looking forward to uh, seeing my kids again frankly i haven't seen them in a few days um even though we're kind of in the midst of doing that and we've had i think a really good week of pre-recorded shows and a lot of those shows have tried to do our part to set the stage what's going to happen between georgia and ohio state coming up on december 31st in the peach bowl there is obviously also a, a lot to be done right now with the typical end of season stuff. And, you know, a lot of that's, you know, transfer portal opening up and we'll obviously get there and coaching rumors. And over the course of the next few days, I think we'll no doubt get there. And yet it seems like, I guess the biggest thing that has taken place since you and I last had a chance to speak live is the fact that Stetson Bennett was named a Heisman finalist. You may have seen this on Tuesday night. Hopefully you did anyway. Uh, Tuesday night when that news came out, we, we hopped on, discussed that live in the moment. Uh, Connor Riley, our, colleague here at dog nation was good enough to kind of run that broadcast i got a chance to sort of play the role of guest for a change which is actually kind of fun for me so so we did that then but i've been observing this no doubt you have been there as well the backlash to the bennett selection here the last few days and i think i i knew when we had made those plans to do some pre-recorded shows i knew there would be some things that would happen that i'd want to talk about live and that's why we wanted to kind of get together here on friday to be able to do that and I think the thing that's probably been on my mind the most is the, the the just the backlash to this the fact that there's been a lot of criticism of the fact that Bennett was one of the four Heisman finalists. And I want to kind of see if I can lay out my thoughts on this. Really, the purpose of us doing this today is take a lot of your comments. So I'm going to read a lot of your comments. You can tell me what's been on your mind for the last few days. But I did want to, even though we're kind of in a weird environment here, I'm kind of sitting in the car and we're just kind of in the midst of traveling back home. I wanted to see if I could share a few thoughts about Bennett and kind of where I land on why, obviously, I think he was, of course, justified to be a Heisman finalist. And like some of the people are going to kind of lean in on, and frankly, this has probably been the most common criticism you've heard here of, well, Bennett is only a Heisman finalist because he's the quarterback of the number one team in the country. And I don't push back against that too much there is a degree of relevance that Bennett has because of his role as the Georgia quarterback that has obviously aided his Heisman campaign and I don't think there's anything he has to apologize for on that it is just more meaningful when you throw a touchdown for a team that's 12 and 0 trying to get to 13 and 0 whether Bennett was this past Saturday in the SEC championship that is just more meaningful than a quarterback who's compiling a bunch of stats on a team that's just merely good And as a Georgia fan, which I am, and you are too, if you're watching the show in all likelihood, I would much rather be said that Georgia is the kind of program that makes the player as opposed to the flip side of that where a player comes along and hopefully that player makes the program. Because obviously in the second version of that, 
if you're completely dependent on some great player arriving to your program to make the program relevant, well, you'll always be in search of that great player. And as you know, those truly great transcendent players are hard to find. They come along once in a generation. But if you're the kind of program that can put players in a chance to succeed and then they have a chance to, to be successful because of the program they're playing in, and that's the kind of renewable resource that Georgia can call back on again year after year after year. Not only does it work for Stetson Bennett to make him a Heisman finalist, but I think it has the, the chance to, to make other quarterbacks who come in here Heisman finalists there as well, because when you're a program that's playing the level that Georgia is right now, if we assume that this level continues for a, for a good number of years, then anyone who steps in here and thrives in this role will have a chance to do what Bennett has been able to do. And frankly, it becomes a great recruiting uh, opportunity as well to say, hey, we've created a Heisman finalist here. And who knows you know, how high Bennett finishes in the voting and we can do the same thing for you. That obviously becomes a, a really valuable part of all that. And I, I want to be really careful here with people who say, well, the knock on Stetson is anybody or lots of guys could have done what he is doing for Georgia. I think it's always really important to be careful of what it is you know for sure. Be careful of what it is that you assume to be true without doubting at all. Because oftentimes the things that we assume to be true end up not being quite as true as we think they are. And look, it's not my intention to drag this guy you know, through the mud because if he was here right now, I'd shake his hand for his contribution to Georgia, if nothing else, the dignified way in which he left Georgia. But look at JT Daniels' brief tenure as a starting quarterback at Georgia. Look at the fact that his better games came, came against teams who were not ranked in the top 25, and his worst performances, statistically speaking, came against the higher-ranked teams that he played. Sugar Bowl, uh, not, not Sugar Bowl, Peach Bowl against Cincinnati, uh, opening game of the 2021 season against Clemson. Those were, th- those were the best teams that JT Daniels played while he was briefly Georgia's starting quarterback prior to this iteration of Stetson Bennett. And I think we would say against the best opponents that JT played, his performance was, frankly, worse. Whereas for Stetson Bennett, SEC championship, uh, Orange Bowl last year, national championship, somehow, some way, he has found a way to raise his level of play when it matters most. You know all the stats here. We can cite them. But frankly, for the most part, you already know them. And you lived through them more importantly than that. But Stetson Bennett has found a way to be at the highest possible level in the biggest possible games. I love what my colleague Jeff Sintel said on our Dog Nation postgame show the other night about when it's a stage game, when you're rolling that stage out of the middle of the field and you're giving out some trophies and you're giving out some MVPs, more often than not over the course of the last couple of years, Stetson Bennett has found a way to be at his absolute best in moments like that. And uh, don't assume that just anyone playing at quarterback for Georgia could do it at the same way because, frankly, we have some evidence that's not necessarily true. And then one more point on this, and I'm just going to read your comments because that's why we're doing this right now. I think that Hendon Hooker is a really good player. And – you know, while I uh, obviously vouch for and tout Stetson Bennett as a Heisman finalist, I don't necessarily have any huge knock on Hooker. You know, there's not a huge argument against him, except to say this, is that when Tennessee beat Alabama, that was a game that we were all interested in. Tennessee fans, Bama fans, and all college football fans. In fact, if you go back and listen to the Dog Nation Daily episodes in the immediate aftermath, really almost the next week, some version of the Tennessee-Alabama game became a topic on our show multiple times because that's how significant that game seemed. However, as the season went on, the game remained really significant for Tennessee fans, but over the course of a long season, that game became less significant to everybody else. Alabama lost again. uh, Other kind of storylines emerged. And what Tennessee did against Alabama, while it will always be etched in the memory books of 
Tennessee fans, it became just less significant to the rest of us. So, unfortunately, if you're a Tennessee fan, or unfortunately, if you are Hendon Hooker, who seems to be the quarterback, I guess he finished fifth in the voting, the, the one that was most harmed, I guess, if you want to say that, by Bennett being inserted as a Heisman finalist. Unfortunately, Hooker just played on a less relevant team. Tennessee was a good team. Georgia was a great team. And the relevant quarterback on the great team did get the nod uh, on the very good quarterback and Hooker, who happened to be playing on a team that was only good in comparison to what Georgia is right now at 13-0. And, by the way, for Hendon Hooker, he could have changed all this by just simply playing better when he went against Stetson Bennett head-to-head. Had Hooker had a better game in Athens in the first Saturday in November, then there wouldn't need to be any woulda, coulda, shouldas about how Hendon Hooker could have been a Heisman finalist. He would have simply been one by having a big game in the biggest moment of the season against Georgia, but he didn't do that. And at that point, he left the door open for somebody else to walk through. And Bennett, by the virtue of winning every other game that he played, including the SEC championship this past Saturday, was able to just walk through that and build on the relevance that he has been establishing as the Georgia quarterback here over the course of the last couple of years. So I don't think that Stetson Bennett offers, shows anyone an apology. I certainly don't believe he'll be offering anyone an apology. And I like the idea that a quarterback who's been as meaningful and has offered as large a contribution as, as Bennett has to what Georgia has been able to do these last two seasons on its way to hopefully go for two and 22. Uh, I like the idea that's being uh, honored and, and, and noticed by the Heisman voters. Frankly, the Heisman voting process is a pretty messed up uh, deal, all things considered. But in this particular case, I don't think there's any evidence they got that wrong. So that's my thought on that. It's Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. This is obviously a very different kind of version of the show for us, but I'm still glad to have you with us. And I'm happy that you're tolerating the slightly different format today because we wanted to kind of play catch up here and talk about some of the things that um, have been going on this week. And by the way, speaking of catch up and anything else you need on your grocery shopping list, you can get that with our friends at Kroger. So uh, make sure you check them out. We always do a little bit of a read here uh, for our folks at Kroger, but I just want to give them a quick shout out today. And so they got so many fun things going on. You're getting ready for Christmas season. They do Kroger Chef Jr., uh, obviously they're a great way to get stocked up for all of your game watching and tailgate parties here coming up. So many great things with our friends at Kroger. We're always so happy to have them as a part of our show here today. You know that you've heard me talk about Kroger for years. So big thanks to them. Thanks for making this show possible. And thanks to our friends at Kroger for allowing me to also kind of step in here and do the show in kind of a weird format today. But, uh, we thought some show is better than no show on a day like this, even if it isn't quite the show that you are used to. So now that I've kind of talked here for a few minutes, the whole, the reason why I wanted to do this was to give you a chance to talk. So I'm going to pop on the various comment sections and kind of roll through these and let folks kind of have their say on what's been going on. You know, tell me what you thought about the last few days, whether it be, you know, some of those rumblings and grumblings about George and the transfer portal, uh, rumblings and grumblings about, you know, maybe uh, George assistance being of high value to, to other programs, more out there about Georgia, Ohio State. You just kind of tell me what uh, you've been thinking these last couple of days. I am honestly curious to catch up with you, and then we'll probably get off the air here in a few minutes too. So I'm not going to go real long, but I uh, wanted to at least talk some Georgia football with you here today. Uh, Jerry Dog fan on the subject of uh, Bennett saying, just get invited should be an honor for a former walk-on. But if Stetson wins it, he deserves it. Stetson's been offensive MVP in the last three postseason games for UGA. He plays big in big moments. I, I absolutely believe that's true. And Jerry, I don't know if you're a baseball fan or not. Some people are, some people aren't. But a lot of this reminds me of some of the conversation that always existed around Derek Jeter when he was the Yankees shortstop. There was this thought of, well, Jeter's overrated because of whatever, you know, math metric, you know, sabermetric type deal. People wanted to drag out and pull. And then he was only getting the love that he was getting, the attention that he was getting 
because he was the Yankee shortstop. But here's the thing I think we understand is that it's really, really hard to be the Yankee shortstop because the extra attention you get. It is way easier to be the shortstop for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So, or I'm just using as an example. So you could play on some mid-level or bad team and compile stat after stat after stat after stat without ever actually feeling that. You know that feeling in your chest when a moment really matters? That feeling in your stomach when there's a little bit of pressure on you to perform? There are a lot of players in college football that never have that feeling. Frankly, they don't care if their team wins or loses because they're six and six, they're seven and five, they're five and seven, they're somewhere around that general area. Literally, all they have to think about is their own individual performance. And that is a free and easy feeling for the players that have that. For someone like Bennett, he's never really known what that felt like. He's always been a quarterback at the University of Georgia, which is a little bit like being, as Derek Jeter once was, the shortstop of the New York Yankees. There is pressure to perform. And throwing a touchdown when there's pressure to perform is just a different kind of thing than throwing it in a game in which no one really cares about the outcome and the only folks watching it all that closely are parents and gamblers that there's just not that much pressure in a situation like that. So, so the idea of being the quarterback on the number one team in the country, y'all, that's not as easy as it sounds like sometimes that there are obviously other quarterbacks who could thrive at Georgia, but the notion that any quarterback could step in here and handle the pressure as well as Bennett has over the course of the last couple of years. I simply don't think that's the case. Jerry, I think you bring up a really good point. Uh, let's see what else. Tyler Kelly says Stetson's Heisman resume is just awesome. Uh, and he does awesome work in big games. Then his character, perseverance, and work ethic, as far as stats go, uh, just aren't as eye-popping as some uh, of the other quarterbacks. Yeah. And if all this was was a statistical achievement, then we wouldn't need to vote for this at all. You know, we could just count. You know, this is not – you know, I, th- I think you would agree with me on this. It's not arithmetic that determines these kinds of things. There is an evaluation process. And a lot of folks the last couple of days I've seen this – you kind of go back out and you drag out what the Heisman Trophy says about what the award's supposed to be. And it kind of gets into, as the commenter mentions, more than just, you know, being an outstanding player on the field. But there's a there's a character element to this. There's a there's kind of a storyline element to this. And in and, and those areas, I think that Bennett's kind of very fitting on that, too. I think that's right. Uh, Tyson Kiefer says the Florida and Alabama exodus is astonishing. I thought Saban was the best ever and Napier was the next urban guess. Someone forgot to tell those players. Well, I have a sort of slightly different take on the, on the Bama Florida thing. You do see a lot of Florida players going to the transfer portal right now. And I wouldn't be quite so sure at Florida that Billy Napier doesn't quietly think that's a pretty good thing. I think that Napier last year wanted to build a team through the transfer portal. And either because you didn't have enough Florida players leave or probably even more, you know, prominently he didn't have enough i think elite sec players that went into the transfer portal post spring practice um i don't think that napier got to utilize the portal as much as he wanted to so i think that when you see a lot of florida players going into the portal and you've already seen a huge number i think some of that will probably be well received by napier because i think he wants the roster spots to try to do at florida what uh say mel tucker did two years ago at michigan state where you kind of go from being terrible to a contender in 2021 Michigan state was played most of that season as a true big 10 contender. And they were doing almost exclusively through the transfer portal. So here's what we know. We've only got a couple of years left of the sec East, but the remainder of this division's lifespan would appear to be pretty competitive. You're about to have a Georgia team that could be back-to-back national champions. You've got a Tennessee team. That's certainly far more, you know, in the mix than it has been before. I think it remains to be seen how good they'll be and how much staying power they have, but they're clearly better than they were. Uh, you got 
South Carolina that concluded the 2022 season by making a very big statement. Uh, you know, Mark Stoops and Kentucky are always a tough out if they're not even, you know, necessarily all that good. That you do have a lot of depth in the SEC East that you didn't have before. And so if you're Florida, and this is not me being like Gator hater, this is me trying to be as objective as, as I can possibly be, that you have to figure out what your place in all of this is. And it is hard to kind of build a program from scratch knowing that Josh Heupel has a one-year head start on you. Kirby Smart's got a however many head, years head start on you, and obviously light years ahead in terms of the overall success of the two programs in comparison right now. So I think if you're Florida, you're going to have to take some shortcuts. You're going to have to try to – do something to accelerate the process and losing a lot of transfers and hope of bringing in a lot of transfers. It may be an unrecognizable. If things go well for Florida, it may be an unrecognizable roster by this time, uh, not a year from now, but even a few months from now, because that may be their only chance to having a truly good and competitive team. You know, if you're Florida uh, year one, you kind of tolerate whatever, but year two at a place like Gainesville, you're going to be nine and three. You want to be 10 and two. You want to be kind of in the mix. And it's going to take a lot of transfers for Ford to be able to do that. And even with that said, they might not be able to. Green Soldier checks in on YouTube. And we'll check the other comment sections after this. Say, Ohio State's a great team, guys. And I really can't stress this enough. We need to establish ourselves early and often. They're an elite offense. Yeah, I think the Green Soldier brings up a very fair point that, I mean, Ohio State's an opponent that I respect. I mean, I think this is a fair fight. It's a fight I expect Georgia to win, but I believe that Georgia has gotten a very tough draw for the college football playoff. But I've also said this a few times as well. It's the college football playoff. I think we should expect it to be a tough draw. You know, this notion that something that Georgia fans should be afraid of, I don't think that Georgia or you know the fans on this team should be afraid of any of that, but it is a tough draw. It is a challenge when you, when you take on a team like this that was ranked in the preseason ahead of what Georgia was ranked. And over the course of the year, we feel like we've learned some things about Georgia for the better. We maybe feel like we've learned some things about Ohio State for the worse. But this was a team that that was universally picked ahead of Georgia before the year began. So hopefully that's a fuel for Georgia. But also it's a reminder that, you know, the Buckeyes can do a lot well. Last year they were awful. I'm talking about 2021. They were awful defensively. And this year with Jim Knowles, they took a big step in, you know, forward. Now, huge defensive breakdowns against Michigan. And so if you're Georgia, you're obviously studying that and looking those big explosive pass plays that Michigan got in that game. I think Ohio State overselling on the run opened the door for Michigan to throw the ball, and Michigan threw it effectively that day. So obviously this is a simplified uh, version of all this. Open this. Open that. Let me open that see if we can get a little more sunlight coming here. Um, there you go. See if we get a little more light on the scene. Um but, but obviously, uh, you know, you, you look at what Michigan did throwing the ball. That's the kind of thing that Georgia's probably going to do, too, because Ohio State sold out to stop the run and made themselves vulnerable to the pass. But other than that, you know, the new Jim Knowles defense had a much better year. Uh, and so that's kind of uh, that's just kind of, you know, what this is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's a tough opponent. I mean, I think the Green Soldier is absolutely right. It is a tough opponent, as you would expect it would be here in the college football playoff. Doug Rayburn says we're going to run for 250 yards against Ohio State. Well, Doug, if that's the case, then we might not have anything to worry about. It may work at all very well if that's the case. Nick Roundtree checks in to say Ohio State's going to have to find out very quickly what playing physical looks like. Yeah, we talked about that, I guess, was it our show on Wednesday, maybe? I think we talked about that. Of You know, that ought to be the biggest advantage Georgia has, that 
that Ohio State has had its toughness question. Its toughness has been questioned for a reason. And in the biggest games that Georgia's won this year, Kirby Smart, Tennessee, LSU, you know, Smart after those games has been talking about toughness and physicality being the biggest difference, the biggest reason why Georgia did win. So if you're looking for the most obvious advantage that Georgia has, they embrace a level of physicality that Ohio State just hasn't. And I think you point the finger at Ryan Day on that. Now, as competitors, which we would say that Ohio State is, I am curious, how do you respond when for an entire month, or really even more than that, more like six weeks, for, for the last six weeks after the Michigan game, they will have heard, you guys just aren't tough enough. Two years in a row, you're just not tough enough. You're just not tough enough. Um, how do they respond after hearing that so much, so often? You know, you would assume if, if, if you're a competitor, which I believe Ohio State is, they step up and try to show a little more toughness in a game like this, but they may just not have it to show. I also think it's really interesting. If you follow some of the Ohio state, you know, social media chatter, how much they're already salivating for that rematch opportunity with Michigan to get the revenge against Michigan. Uh, uh, it is very interesting to think they might be looking past anything other than a, a, a Georgia team that certainly showed last year for Michigan, who thought the college football playoff semifinal was going to be easy for them. Uh, they found out quickly. They had another thing coming. Uh, and now you kind of wonder if Georgia would get the same chance to do that to uh, Ohio State, too. So we shall see. We shall see. Uh, Brian Whitehead, going back to Stetson Bennett, says, one thing is for sure, we're never going to see another quarterback do what Bennett has done, national and SEC champs as a walk-on. Yeah, it's an it's amazing story. And I said before, I think one of the things that kind of sometimes causes people to not fully appreciate the the coolness of the Bennett story is, is that sometimes when there's a conflict in narratives, it becomes confusing. And a team like Georgia, who is kind of this very dominant macro, everybody's a five star, you know, you know, Georgia would appear to be the program where talent is hoarded. And when all of a sudden you have a guy like Bennett, who feels like he should be a feel good story, but people kind of don't want to feel good about Georgia because they feel like Georgia in some respects, sort of part of the problem in college football when so few teams are controlling so much of the resources in terms of certainly the the, the, the most important resource of all, which is just player talent. You know, Georgia's sort of hoarding what a lot of people kind of view as unfair share of that talent. And so when you have a quarterback like Bennett, who almost feels like he would be a better fit from a storyline standpoint on a different kind of team, I think that that conflict and narrative just becomes confusing. And so therefore, even among some Georgia fans, I think Bennett not ends up ends up not being fully appreciated for what he's been able to do because when, and I know this year that Bennett did win the Bull, the, the Bullsworth award, I would say is it Bullsworth, is that how you say it? Bullsworth, uh, the, the walk-on trophy. When you have that, um, uh, um, but when you have that, you have, it, it's just such a cool story, such a great story. And I, I, I don't know that, that Georgia fans have always, you know, fully appreciated that. All right, let's uh let's get a few more comments here. Joel Moody going back to the other topic says the uh, dogs thrive on physicality. We will flex against Ohio State, especially in the second half. Uh, oh, by the way, I guess uh, Miriam Corbin and Barry Tenahan also talking about the uh, rumors that are out there that uh, Sam Pittman might be uh, talking to Trey Scott as possible next defensive coordinator, and this is the kind of thing that you are powerless to be able to stop. And Georgia's obviously got the financial resources to keep, you know, as many coaches they can for as long as possible. Uh, obviously, that's proven by the fact that once again, Todd Munkin was listed as the highest paid assistant coach in college football this year. 
So clearly Georgia's got the financial resources to be able to, to pay guys, uh, you know, anything that they possibly can, but upwardly mobile coaches are about more than money and guys are going to want to advance their career. And for someone like Trey Scott, who's been an outstanding defensive line coach of Georgia, I think pound for pound, he's been one of Georgia's best assistants. And yet if you've got a chance to go be the defensive coordinator and in control on that side of the ball for an SEC team, obviously that's a tough thing to say no to. So, you know, I'm only partially plugged in on some of the rumors involving Scott and Arkansas because I've obviously been out of the country here a, a, a bit the last couple of days, but you are aware of that. I guess there's also some rumblings out there that a guy like Todd Munkin might be in line for the Purdue head coaching job. That if you're the kind of program that's succeeding the highest level, you're attracting the kind of coaches who are just hard driving, upwardly mobile guys. And you got to use them while you got them because they're likely on their way somewhere else. And it's important to note that one of the most important things, skills, I believe that Kirby Smart has shown, that I don't think he has a lot of credit for, is it's one thing to go out there and just flex and take a proven assistant that everybody kind of already knows is good. Like Georgia getting Will Muschamp as its co-defensive coordinator. We know the Muschamp coaching resume. We know his history. We know his track record. It's simply a matter of Georgia flexing its resources to get a guy like Muschamp to come here and work as an assistant coach. However, there's another way in which assistant coaches get hired that I think Kirby has proven to be very good at that I don't think we oftentimes notice or give him credit for. When Trey Scott was hired as defensive line coach, I got to tell you, I didn't know who he was at all. He had been at North Carolina, had just been hired at, uh, at Ole Miss, but he had very little resume to speak of. He was a total coaching unknown. And how quickly has he kind of proven himself to be uh, an invaluable asset? I would say that Dan Lanning was a bit the same way. When Lanning came here from Memphis, I believe it was, before he got here, Lanning was not a guy that was famous to me either, and yet very quickly became someone I was very glad that Georgia has. Chidera uh, uh, Uzo-Deribe feels like a version of that. Uh, Fran Brown feels like a, fer- a version of that. These were assistant coaches that Georgia has hired, and in the case of uh, Uzo-Deribe, a very young guy. In the case of Brown, a guy that had been operating well away from, from, from UGA, these were not famous names to me. And yet pretty quickly, I think they've proven themselves to be um, – to be really valuable assets that, that Kirby has done a really good job of not just having an eye for player talent, you know, spotting and evaluating, you know, players that have a chance to thrive to place like Georgia, but his eye for spotting future coaching talent, because there is much the same way. There aren't enough great players to go around. There aren't enough great coaches to go around either that everybody in the sec is sort of fighting over the same handful of well-known assistants. And some of those guys kind of hop from job to job to job year after year after year. So you've got to go out there and kind of find that diamond in the rough, that younger guy who's working at the group five level, who's working at that level kind of below what we think of as the highest part of the SEC and identify those coaches that can thrive here. And Kirby's proven himself to be very good at doing that. Not every coach I would say has been a great fit, but you're never going to bat a thousand. More often than not, they've done a really good job of identifying coaches who can grow to be the kinds of guys that we say, boy, I hope that guy never leaves UGA. And sooner rather than later, Kirby would appear to be called on to do some of that again. All right, a few more comments here today. Uh, glad to have you with us for this somewhat version of Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. I realize this is completely different than what we normally do, and I appreciate you tolerating it being so different. Uh, Marcus Chafin getting excited about Army-Navy. says, go Army, beat the hell out of Navy. There you go. Uh, my dad was an Army veteran, so uh, I've always kind of cheered for West Point in that game as well. Uh, no, he was not a West Point grad. My family did not have those kinds of academic credentials, uh, but he was an Army guy for sure. 
Uh, Christopher Dillon Hand says, uh, do you think the Georgia offense can keep up if the defense gives up 30 points like they did against LSU? Well, I would say that, and look, this is going to come across like excuse making. I don't mean for it to, but part of the thing about Georgia giving up 30 against LSU is because they'd scored 35 themselves in the first half. Like, I don't believe that Georgia's recipe for beating Ohio State is 50 to 30. I don't. Um, I think that Georgia always wants to kind of win a lot of these games the same way. I, you've heard me say it 8 million times. I think Georgia wants to be in the 30s. I think it wants its opponent somewhere in the 20s. You know, you know, I think that the way you beat Ohio State is probably 31-20 or 35-24 or, you know, something like that. I don't think you can expect to completely shut down the Ohio State offense or any other offense you're likely to play the college football playoff. The notion you're going to come out here and pitch a shutout against a team like that, that's probably not likely. But can you perform well enough to keep them in the 20s? And can you give yourself a chance to score 35 and win, 30 and win? That to me, that to me is the recipe. You know, last year's national championship game was 33 to 18. That's that feels about like what all of these are supposed to feel like. And you know, maybe Georgia scores a few more, maybe they give up a few less. But to me, a reasonable formula for every win Georgia's ever going to get in a big game is 30 something to 20. It's 30 something to 20 something. That'll get you done. That'll get it done more often than not. Uh, Senior Dog 54, all going to dognation.com for a moment, says, we currently have three former head coaches on our staff. Good uh, for Kirby Smart not being paranoid about hiring those folks. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think every great staff has a mixture of young, new blood that's really, really energetic, really, really fired up, and older, wise coaches who've been around. And I think that's sometimes about Muschamp. Think about all the time that Muschamp spent coaching bad football teams. And some people use that as kind of a knock on him. But I also use that as kind of a, a thing where imagine how much film he would have watched. Imagine how much uh, investigation he would have done on opponents. And for a smart guy like Will, and I believe he is a very smart football mind, I'm sure he many times would have thought, gosh, especially like think about him as South Carolina coach playing like a team like Clemson every year. Gosh, I know this would work. We could stop their offense. We could do this if we just had a little higher level of talent. I'm sure he probably spent a lot of time preparing for games, thinking, man, I've got this perfect game plan for this game. I just don't have the horses to execute this game plan, given my current role. Well, a place like Georgia, now you've got that talent at your disposal. So there's a lot of institutional knowledge. A guy like Muschamp brings the table for UGA, and I'm sure he's been chomping the bit to to utilize some of the expertise he's gained in recent years. But just given the, the roles that he was in, head coaches on teams like Florida and South Carolina that weren't very good, he just didn't get a chance to, to, to do that. But he's a valuable asset for Georgia, no doubt. Rick Barnes says if a player transfers uh, on the portal, are they eligible to go ahead and play? Yeah, everybody gets that free one-time transfer. So guys that leave Georgia will be immediately eligible when they move on. What we don't know about yet are these players that have already utilized the one-time transfer who now appear to be eager to transfer again. Jones and JT Daniels and – a lot of these guys who are now transferring for multiple times, how that's going to be treated, I guess. I mean, it's just going to be like everything else, just sort of the Wild West and anything goes. But, you know, the biggest waste of breath and waste of ink in the world was describing the previous transfer situation as a one-time transfer. We're already seeing that, you know, players looking to transfer year after year after year. And I sound like the old man on the porch here, but I'm not in favor of that. You know, if, if, if you're at a school and you lose your job and you go to another school and you lose your job again, and then you go to another school and you lose your job again, at a certain point, 
maybe it might be appropriate to assume, hey, the problem here isn't the schools that I've chosen to go to. Maybe there's something with me that needs to improve. That's what you sort of would hope that that would happen. There'd be a little bit of a, of a little self-introspection that might go on. Uh, and that, that's one of the worst things for the transfer portal is it seems to bring out kind of the worst, I guess, aspects of human nature where you never take any responsibility. You're always looking at some sort of external reason for you not having the success that you want. But at this point, we've all kind of had our say on all that. Brian Whitehead says Arkansas needs help on defense. Go back and listen to Sam Pittman's press conference at the beginning of the season. He said they were not live tackling in fall camp. Arkansas was not nearly as physical this year as they were last year. And, Brian, I'll also add to that, you probably heard me say before that I, I for a long time, thought that Arkansas had as good a pair of coordinators as anybody in the SEC. Um, You know, with Kendall Bryles running the offense and Barry Odom had been running the defense. But over the course of the year, I guess I started thinking a little less of Barry Odom because talking about them not being, you know, live tackling during practice. I just thought the defense just looked soft during games. They played a lot of soft coverage, had a hard time stopping the pass, and they were throwing so many bodies in the pass coverage that was then leaving vulnerable against the against the run. I realized that Arkansas is not exactly, you know, just bathing in talent. I understand that, and Sam Pittman's done a, a lot with what he's, you know kind of inherited going back to the Chad Morris era prior to that. But there was a lot about what I saw from Arkansas on the field this year, based on my limited knowledge of X and O's, I guess, based a lot of what I saw this year from Arkansas that I thought was just pretty weak. And uh, I really felt like that Arkansas would be in better hands with a different defensive coordinator. I almost kind of completely reverse face on what I used to think about Barry Odom as such a big hire for, uh, for, for Pittman and then a very big, success story that they were able to keep him because at one point texas threw a bunch of money the same year that texas came after dan lanning they also came after odom too and arkansas was able to keep him by the time this year was kind of over i was like i think arkansas needs a change of leadership with its defense they were just giving up start off the year giving up a lot of passing yards and they were throwing so many bodies into pass coverage now they're giving up a bunch of stuff on the ground i thought the arkansas defense looked soft this year too so whether it be trey scott or somebody else i hope it's somebody else no disrespect to Trey, but um, uh, but Arkansas just needs a change in leadership defensively. Uh, Odom leaving that program may end up being a good thing for Pittman. And listen, I'm, I'm like a lot of y'all. I think we're all the same way on this. As long as Arkansas is not playing Georgia, I pretty well openly root for them to win games. Frankly, I don't think there's ever been an SEC team, uh, obviously, other than Georgia that I've rooted for as much as I kind of root for Arkansas. It seems safe to cheer for them. They're so far away. Uh, so many Georgia fans forever will have, you know, such good vibes with Sam Pittman. I really enjoy watching Arkansas succeed. And as someone who, who feels that way, I felt like they could have just used a different kind of voice defensively. Uh, Matt Rukavini, I did not know this. This is a, a very, very uh, tough stat for Aggies fans. He says, fun fact, Texas A&M, and Matt would know this because he lives in Texas. Texas A&M is the first ever team to have a number one recruiting class followed by a losing season. Boy, that's tough. That's tough, but that's what they're dealing with right now. Uh, DT, going back to the Stetson Bennett topic off the top of the show, says Lions don't care about the opinion of the sheep, and in some respects, it's as simple as that. Uh, in some respects, it is as simple as that. Let's see what else. Uh, Stafford Square Dog on the subject of maybe adding a deep threat wide receiver in the transfer portal. 
yeah, I mean, this is one of those things that, you know, Georgia's going to do. They're, you know, Georgia's never going to build its team, team completely through the transfer portal. They're always going to be shopping. They're going to be window shopping, if nothing else. And adding a receiver, you've heard some talk about that over the course of the last few days. Uh, that's absolutely something you expect Georgia maybe do. At dognation.com, Bill says the talent level of the college ball playoff team is pretty close. The difference would be team uh, is prepared mentally to overcome mistakes and take advantage of the breaks and momentum. We can't have clock management screw-ups and uh, short yardage failures again in win-or-go-home games. Yeah, I would say the only the only game where I think the talent level is close is probably between Georgia and Ohio State. I think that Jim Harbaugh has done a good job of maximizing the talent he has at Michigan, and I guess you'd say that Sonny Dykes has definitely done that at TCU. But to me, Georgia has a decided talent advantage against either Michigan or Ohio, or, or I should say against either Michigan or TCU. And that's not to say the game's easy to win, but from a measurable talent standpoint, I think that Georgia is decidedly uh, well ahead of both Michigan and certainly well ahead of TCU, just does not recruit typically at the same level. You know, the, one of the reasons why I always say that Georgia-Ohio State, I expect to be what I call a fair fight, is because Ohio State does bring that talent component to the table. They just have, I mean, they're going head-to-head for Damon Wilson, and how many recruiting battles head-to-head is it Georgia versus Ohio State on? So when you've got something like that, you've got a program like the Buckeyes that's just used to bringing in big players. And so that's one of the things that makes the game so interesting is is that in some games, and this is kind of what the commenter I believe was alluding to, is that Georgia can have a miscue or a mistake or a whatever, and the overall talent edge that Georgia has against almost every team that it plays makes the miscue or the mistake almost irrelevant because – they still have so much talent, they're just destined to win no matter what. Against a team like Ohio State, that's just less likely to be true, that you do probably have to play well to win this game. But you should expect that to be true when you face a college football playoff opponent. It just so happens that Georgia in the semifinal game is playing the one team of the other three in the playoff that comes the closest to mirroring mirroring what they're able to do from a, from a talent standpoint. Um. Foster Moss says, is Coach Antwee uh, getting any burn at Ohio State? No, I don't think he's playing yet. Um, but they've had a lot of very good receivers who've waited a long time to, 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 to play there. Beer Cans and Batty says that Georgia's going to physically punish Ohio State. Uh, Jim Kay also says that Ohio State isn't ready for a uh, battle-tested SEC team, and that may be true. Uh, Buddy Lee Z says, do you think the offense will have to carry the defense in this year's playoff? I don't. I expect the Georgia defense to play better uh, than it did against LSU. I do think some of what happened there was kind of situation specific for that game. And frankly, I think that's why Georgia doesn't play 50 to 30 ball games because it's just not that much fun. Seeing your defense kind of gassed, kind of tired, and kind of, you know, less than sharp at the end of the game is just kind of frustrating. And I think that's why Georgia plays the way that it plays. The complimentary football, that's a phrase that we hear Kirby say all the time, and it's not just coach speak. I do believe that's the way that Georgia wants to approach these kinds of games. That's what Georgia wants to do, and in the future, that is what they're going to do. Uh, Let's see what else. Kirby Spelt says, I think the game is going to be a mirror image of LSU. Well, if that be the case, uh, Kirby uh, Kirby Spell, I – I don't think that's what Georgia wants to be. I, I don't think Georgia wants the Georgia, the Ohio State game to be 80 total points scored. I don't. I don't. Uh, and you mentioned complimentary football. I think that the, the complimentary football 
he's probably something a little less than that because I gave Connor Riley credit for this before. So when Georgia blocked the field goal and when Christopher Smith picked it up and took it back for a touchdown, that was at the conclusion of a long drive for LSU. And then lo and behold, one play later, the defense back on the field again. And what happened after that? Uh, LSU marched down the field for a big scoring drive and probably it was Christopher Smith himself who got beat on the scoring play. Obviously Smith's had a great season. He's a great player, but in that particular moment, he may have gotten beaten on that play. And the point that Connor made sitting next to me in the press box, I think this is a really astute point is that the quick strike score from Georgia on the special teams play actually put additional stress on the Georgia defense. And they were, they were gassed and they were gassed for what seemingly was a good reason because Georgia had gotten a touchdown, but nonetheless, the physical toll on the defense was, was a pretty significant one. And that's kind of why Georgia doesn't like to play games with 80 combined points scored, because if you, if you were explosive enough offensively, eventually you're going to take a little bit out of your defense because you're constantly running them back out there. And, you know, clearly Georgia has found, has found kind of a sweet spot where you better score 30 something. You better be in the thirties. You can't win these games down in the twenties on a regular basis but you also can't be expected to win a game in kind of the high variant situation of well, if they're scoring 30 and you're scoring whatever, you know, that ends up being kind of a high variance type game where there's a lot of possessions, a lot of hands on footballs and a lot of opportunities for the one thing to go wrong that costs you the game. All right, we're going to do a few more. Let me also say this before we kind of wrap up and do a few more of these. Um, I want to say a huge thanks to, all the folks at Royal Caribbean who invited us to be on Wonder of the Seas here this week and made this such a great experience. You know, you hear me talk a lot about some of our friends there, Robin and Joanne, and such a great group of people who have worked so hard to make our partnership with Royal Caribbean really one of the best that we have. And I appreciate all of you for allowing me to be away for a couple of days. And I can't wait to tell you more about the fun stuff I got a chance to experience because I honestly believe, I genuinely believe that for all of you who work so hard and you, you know, got, you know, so much going on in your life. If you can find that time to get away, like we're right now we're driving back, you know, Port Canaveral is just past Orlando. So we're driving back easy drive to get back home. And the experience of being able to do this, of being able to sneak away, have a fun time, you know, go to the private Island, perfect day, Coco K soak up some sun, you know, just, have the, the great entertainment on board the ship. We saw an amazing uh, couple of shows last night, a wonderful ice skating show, uh, sit right down there in front of the ice and watch this sort of Olympic style ice skating going on in front of us and an incredible high diving show where they're diving 60 feet in the air into the, into the pool below as the ship is moving. It's just the, the level of inter- entertainment on board that it really does provide that getaway. Your mind can sort of unplug and you can really relax and enjoy yourself. And so we had a great time, and I'm looking forward to telling you more about that. And I do sincerely want you to be a part of our Dog Nation cruise coming up in April. So you've heard me talk about Jessica Slater. Jessica was actually on board with us here this week. You can also contact her there as well. RoyalDogs.com is a website she's put together for the Dog Nation cruise. RoyalDogs.com. You can also call her there at the number that you see on the screen, uh, too. It is going to be a great time. I had a wonderful time being on Wonder of the Seas here this week. So I wanted to give a quick shout out to our friends at Royal Caribbean for just making this a great, great experience for me. So, so lucky. I know I am to be able to do this. And you all are so kind to kind of come back with us 
and uh, allowed me to kind of get back into the uh, mix here today, if nothing else, with a some version of a show. But it was truly a wonderful time, and I was truly very, very happy to be a part of it. So with that said, let's do a few more comments. We'll get ready to get out of here for today. Uh, Jim K. also mentioned the subject of Keeley Ringo. There's no doubt that Ringo was targeted, I think, in, specifically in the LSU game. I believe he was also targeted in the Georgia Tech game prior to that. No question uh, that Keeley probably did not have his best game against LSU, but I would honestly expect Keeley to still make a big play for Georgia before this season's done. Keeley's still very much a part of the solution for Georgia, not part of the problem. You know, Keeley's still a very important player on this team. My expectation is before it's done that he'll have a big moment here this season. I believe that to be the case. All right, a couple more here. Oh, uh, Cassie Turner says she's going to be breaking out her Rose Bowl winning buffalo chicken dip for the playoffs. Very important. Go back and think about those menu items that you made for the biggest wins that Georgia had. That's what Cassie's doing. Uh, what, first of all, it sounds like a, a, a terrific menu item anyway, the buffalo chicken dip. No doubt a very satisfying thing for whatever tailgate or watch party she's going to be a part of. But, yeah, go back and break that out. Whatever you used before, have all that ready to go for this time too. And maybe this result will be just like those previous results are. Cassie, your mind's the right place. It really is. Uh, Kirby's belt also comparing sets of minute throwing on the run to what uh, C.J. Stroud does. Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's the best version of Bennett. When you do get him on the run, when you let him be an athlete, I think you get a great version of Stetson Bennett. That's right. Uh, Drew Miller asking about Todd Munkin. So the only thing I've seen is is he's been mentioned as a potential candidate for the or for the excuse me for the Purdue job. Jeff Brom left Purdue to go to Louisville after Scott Satterfield left Louisville to go to Cincinnati. We've had coaching carousel stuff, and so this is the way that it's going to go. We have some jobs that we know are open, but the Satterfield thing kind of came up out of nowhere. And so when a coach unexpectedly leaves here now late in the process to go somewhere else, it's almost like a new portal is opened up, a new dimension is opened up where you have all these other jobs that now have to be filled. And with every single one of these jobs, obviously a successful program like Georgia – its coaches are very likely to be a candidate in a situation like that. That's just a, that's just kind of the way that it goes. And so, um, so yeah, uh, that's kind of how that happened is that Munkin has been mentioned. I don't know how serious it is. I, I don't know what Munkin's potential ties would be to uh, West Lafayette, Indiana. I'm not sure. Um, you know, Purdue is a big 10 job in the future because of the kind of big two status of the sec and the big 10 having, financial resources, the likes of which other college programs don't have. Um, I don't think you're going to see very many instances in the future when anyone would turn down a chance to be a head coach in the SEC or turn down a chance to be a head coach in the Big Ten, because even for a place like Purdue that you sort of think of as kind of a middling program, it is still going to have excess value in the future because it plays in the Big Ten and has access to the financial resource these Big Ten programs are going to have. All right, a few more we got to go. It's been fun to catch up. Hopefully this has been a valuable use of your time. Hopefully it has been. Uh, Joel Moody says we're averaging 49.5 points in two games at the Benz this year against Oregon and LSU. Hey, Ohio State, bring it on. I like that, Joel. Good numbers, and I, I like that for sure. Um, let's see what else. Yeah, Randy, we're going to get back to doing the normal show again next week. Today, I just kind of wanted to pop. We did Jeff on Monday uh, because of the Sam and Pemba news. Kind of knew this was going to be a weird week. So getting back to normal on Monday, 
but no regular interview or anything like that today. Um, let's do a couple more. Joyce uh, Dugan on the subject of Nick Saban potentially making some coaching changes. Yeah, it's typically what he does after a big bad season. He kind of tries to find a way to blame somebody else other than himself. Uh, Daniel Aldridge, thanks for the kind words. Appreciate that. Uh, Matt Rukavina says he hopes that JT Daniels doesn't end up at one of our rivals. Um, he says, I'm not quite sure how to work out, but I'd hate to have to root against him. Yeah, I mean, Daniels is one of those guys. He left George in a very dignified way. And listen, we all understand this. Players want to play, and Daniels wasn't playing at Georgia. I can certainly understand that he's disappointed about that. Anybody would be. But he handled himself on the way out the door in a very classy way. He rooted for Stett hard, at least publicly. He portrayed himself that way. And frankly, that's all I care about. Whatever you think privately is your own business. It's what you do publicly that matters to me. And Daniels did right by Georgia with all of his public action. So, JT, we're here right now. I don't care if he transfers 55 times. Uh, He'd earn a handshake for me. And I believe he's a little bit like Jacob Eason. Neither guy was at Georgia very long. But would I give Daniels DGD status for not becoming a distraction in a national championship year? Yeah, I probably would. I'm not sure that Daniels even knows what a DGD is, nor does he even think about his time at Georgia very much anymore. Uh, but look, look, being a DGD is not about, you know, a lifetime achievement. Sometimes it's just about doing a thing, you know, kind of doing a solid in a, in a, in, a, in the right spot in the right moment. And that's kind of what Daniels did. And Eason was kind of the same way when he lost his job to from Eason was a good soldier, about that. I remember interviewing Jacob in Pasadena before the Rose bowl. And, it was very classy about his happiness for for uh, for Jake, and it was pretty obvious that Eason was going to transfer back at a time in which transferring was a little bit different than it is now, but it was obvious that he was going to. But he in no way made himself a distraction, and for me, he'll always get some gratitude for that. Uh, and you kind of wonder, well, one of the job, one of the schools that at one point that uh, JT had been kind of in the mix for was a place like Missouri. Missouri obviously did not have a very good quarterback situation, but I also I just don't really know what JT is anymore. I'm just not I'm just not sure. Uh, I'm not I'm not quite sure. All right, what else? Final comments, then we're done. Tony Dickerson, the subject of my hair being gray. I, I was kind of know because what I'm what I'm looking at right now, I can see myself in the uh, uh, screen. I was noticing I was looking pretty gray here, but uh, I think that may have more to do with the lighting than anything else. Gosh, I hope so. Boy, I hope so. Tony, I hope that's the case. Joseph Kennedy said, hey, maybe you should just transfer back to Georgia. That would be interesting. I mean, it would not surprise me if Georgia at least considered the possibility of a veteran quarterback, and JT Daniel certainly uh, would be a veteran quarterback. So I don't know. Uh, Christopher Dillon Hand says, I made the prediction last year that A.D. Mitchell would make a big play that would lead to Georgia winning the national championship. That prediction came true. Do you have a prediction for this year? Ooh, that's a good one. For whatever reason, for all we talk about with the tight ends, we talk about them for good reason. Obviously, by the way, congratulations to both Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington for being first and second team all SEC tight ends. What an amazing thing that is. And congratulations to Brock Bowers for winning the Mackey Award. I meant to mention this earlier, but how cool is it that finally the Mackey Award got it right after not even having him as a finalist a year ago that he wins the award this year? That's awesome. Um, and I also love the fact that we've now had a Georgia player win a national award 
six years in a row. Roquan in 17 won the Butkus. Uh, 18, uh, uh, DeAndre Baker won the Thor. 2019, didn't uh, Rodrigo win the uh, the, the uh, Lou Groza in, in 2019? Uh, I feel like George had a national award winner all these years. Maybe I'm missing something. Uh, but, I mean, it's, it's been uh, – they had multiple national award winners last year. It's just kind of nice to see Georgia getting that level of attention. But the, go back to the question. The question was, so who's my prediction for the big play here right now? For as dominant as the tight ends have been this year, I still sort of think the biggest play of this season is likely to be made by Kenny McIntosh. And I don't quite know why, but I just sort of feel like McIntosh may have the biggest moment yet this season. I sort of feel that way. It's a little bit of a, um, a little bit, a little bit of a, just maybe a premonition that I have. Scotty Barnes also saying congratulations to Brock. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. George Ann Olive says that uh, gray hair is caused by a copper deficiency. Well, if that be the case, I'm going to start drinking pennies because um, I like to hold on to as much brown hair as I can get. Uh, let's see what else. Somebody says, uh, uh, Daniel Aldrich says, uh, just for men works just great for him. Yeah, I guess I'm sort of more of a natural guy. I, it's going like, to it's, it's do what it's going to do. Alan Verbonchik says, he should have won the Heisman last year. Yeah, he definitely should. I'm not the Heisman, but the, uh, uh, the Mackey Award last year. He definitely should. Definitely should. All right, we're going to go back to Dog Nation. Dom, these are our final comments. Then we're going to leave. Brian Whitehead says the Burlesworth. I, see, I knew I wasn't saying right earlier. It's the Burlesworth. I was saying Bullsworth. It's Burlesworth. The Burlesworth trophy, he says, means more to me than the Heisman simply because of the adversity a player faces a walk-on. I think that's a great point. It those are the kinds of stories we tell our kids, right? Because we want to, I mean, most of us will never have kids who are five-star athletes, but all of us can have kids who overcome adversity. And frankly, that's what we hope about ourselves there as well. Most of us don't have the natural innate talent to overcome whatever life throws at us. We have to find a way to kind of fight through it. There are a lot of days where things are just kind of hard and you have to kind of fight through it, you know, to be able to do that. Um, and that's what stories like Bennett kind of inspires to do. I think you're right about that. All right. Uh, Nola Dog, thank you for the kind words. Appreciate that. Very, very kind. Uh, good stuff. All right. We're going to go. Thank you for being here. To Michael Carvel, who has helped us so much with the pre-records. And then the weird thing we did the other day, we kind of did like the, the combined pre-record versus a little bit of live and, and all of that. So thanks for uh, thanks for all of that. And on Monday, we're going to be back doing the show like we always do. We're going to do that all the way through the college football playoff and everything else. So looking forward to that. Hope you have a great weekend. Well, normally, this is the R.S. Andrews School Down. But today, the entire show is the R.S. Andrews School Down. So uh, shout out to R.S. Andrews, of course. And we will talk to you again on Monday. Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. R.S. Andrews School Down, of course, after that. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Uh, good luck to Stat with the uh, ceremony on Saturday. We'll be watching that closely, and we will talk to you later on. Have a great weekend, everybody.